At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. It's been six months since the 63rd governor of Maryland took his oath of office. I, Wesley Watende Omari Moore, do swear, do swear. Maryland's first black governor comes on the show to take us inside his administration and tell us his top priorities. He really takes off the gloves when it comes to the battle over the new FBI building. Are you actually locating to a state where the chief executive of the state believes in the mission? He also sheds light on why he signed a bill into law that will put limits on where you can have a concealed carry weapon in the old line state. People should not be able to bring guns into nurseries. And finally, we talk violence and why he thinks politics has made violence a political rallying call instead of a problem worth solving. Governor Westmore, welcome to the DMV Download Podcast. It is my joy. Great to be with you. First, I want to thank you for letting us record this show in the State House. We're sitting in this huge room with portraits of all the former governors lining the walls. You can feel the history in the room. It's amazing. I, and, you know, and people oftentimes don't know that this really is the birthplace of democracy. Mm. Uh, because not only is Annapolis the former capital of the country, not just of Maryland, of the country, that uh, George Washington resigned his commission in this building. Wow. And why that matters so much, it was the first time in our nation's history that someone willfully gave up power and that said, you know what, you know, the power does not belong to me, Mm. the power belongs to the people, and the people should decide who their next leader is. That literally happened in this building. And it's something that's very humbling for me because, you know, I know I have a clock that sits on my desk that says how many days I have until the end of my first term. It's this reminder, not only that you have to make every day count, It's this beautiful reminder that, you know, I'm proud to be the 63rd governor of the state of Maryland, but there will be a 64th. Right. And there'll be a 65th and there'll be a 66th. And at some point, my portrait will be on this wall. These walls, yeah. And we'll continue seeing how the evolution of this state continues to move. And so there's a beautiful, not just history of this building and of this state, but a beautiful responsibility. Mm to be able to make every single one of those days matter right. that you were in the seat. Right, and you're six months you know, into yeah. your time in the governor's mansion, and a key issue that's kind of been playing out in the first six months is the FBI building. Oh, yeah. Right, you know, it's not the sexiest story I've ever covered at WTOB. <laughs> you know, it's a decrepit Bauhaus-style building in downtown D.C. There's a net strewn across it to keep yeah. it from literally falling apart. Now, you know, Maryland and Virginia are kind of facing each other down for this new building. Why is this so important for someone who's listening? Is like, look, this is just a building for the FBI. Why does it matter so much? It matters because we are talking about a building that is going to employ thousands of people and it's going to be worth upwards of over $4 billion of economic activity. Mm. This is the largest project that GSA, the General Services Administration, uh, has ever had ever done. It's the largest federal project that has been done since the Pentagon and the CIA building. Mm. So this, is, this isn't this is just about a building. 
This is about the economic activity, the economic growth that really that that is going to lean on where the selection goes. And, and I give a lot of credit to our federal delegation. I mean, Steny Hoyer has been battling this for for literally a decade now, yeah. trying to make sure that this building comes to to uh, to Prince George's County, that it comes to the state of Maryland. And if you look at the guidelines that the GSA has actually laid out, the guidelines where they said we're going to look at cost, mm-hmm. we're going to look at speed of delivery. We're going to look at transportation assets. We're going to look at the mission of the FBI. We're going to look at equity. If you look at all the guidelines that they laid out, Maryland wins on every single one of those categories. If you look at it just from an objective level, mm. right, that it's going to cost less to build it in the state of Maryland. To put it in Virginia, it could cost upwards of a billion dollars more. That we could deliver the building two years faster then Virginia could deliver it. Mm-hmm. That we have metro access and transportation assets already in place in Prince George's County, that it can be leveraged. That the, if they're saying the future mission of the FBI is highly focused on cyber, well, Maryland is the home of U.S. Cyber Command. We're the home of Fort Meade. We're the home of two of the best institutions in the country for, for, for cyber. You know, the University of Maryland uh, College Park and also Johns Hopkins University. And equity, where if you look at the financial basis of the largest 150 uh, jurisdictions in our, in our country, and you look at economic competitiveness for all of them, Northern Virginia, Fairfax County, ranks number two. Prince George's County ranks 107. And the reason that, that Northern Virginia ranks number two is because of all the federal assets right. that have already been placed there. So if you just look on the basis of the argument, it's very clear that the building should be in Maryland. And when people say, well, why is this so important? When you're talking about thousands of jobs, billions of dollars of economic activity, I want that building in Prince George's County, and I want that building in the state of Maryland. Now, what's rustled some feathers here in Maryland is you know, the addition of a new kind of category which is closeness to Quantico, yeah. you know, which is the FBI training site. That, again, as I said, ruffled some feathers here in Maryland. Doesn't that put you all at a disadvantage here? It does. Uh, you know, it, it's when you say that proximity to a training facility, which is really what Quantico is, and, and when you think about the mission of the FBI, the FBI, really where they're spending their time, it's in the field, mm. right? It's with, the, it's with these field agencies. So proximity to a training facility I'm not sure why that gets a 30% boost. Uh, And not to mention the fact Quantico is in Virginia. So you might as well say we're going to give 30 points to the place that starts with letter V. Mm. You know, there, there was a, there, this has been going on for a while. I think for a lot of people, they felt that Virginia had a, the pole position to being able to, to get, make this happen. And all we're simply saying is stick to the guidelines that were laid out before, because that addition to Quantico and that kicker about Quantico receiving additional points, that did not happen until late last year. That has not been part of the conversation. And so literally what we're saying is, do not change the rules in the ninth inning. That's not fair. Now, another wrench that's been thrown into this process is on Capitol Hill after the former president, Donald Trump, you know, got indicted for his handling of documents and the FBI's involvement. There have been Republicans uh, who have said, you know, we're going to press on the brakes here for the new FBI building. How do you respond to that? You know, it's um, since we know one of the criteria is the future mission of the FBI, I, I feel like the future relevance of the FBI should also be kept in consideration when they're making when they're making the decision. Mm. And you have two jurisdictions right now. You have Prince George's County and uh, and Fairfax. So you have Maryland and Virginia that are the final two jurisdictions in this battle. And from my understanding, I'm the only chief executive of the two states that actually says I believe in the mission of the FBI and I don't believe it should be defunded. The only one. 
Now, again, if, if I'm if I'm incorrect, I know I know Governor Youngkin will correct me, and he'll he will come out publicly and, and vocally say, "I believe in the mission of the FBI. I believe the FBI should be funded, uh, and I believe that the attacks on the FBI are are unfair." If if he believes that, he should he should say that. Mm. I just haven't heard that from them, and I think that that should matter. Uh, and I think it does matter mm. in the conversation about where the building should go. Is are you actually locating to a state where the chief executive of the state believes in the mission? and believes in the organization, and believes that the organization should not be defunded. I stand by law enforcement. Mm. I think the law enforcement mission is incredibly important, and I think the mission of the FBI is incredibly important. And so that's another reason why I believe that the building should be in the state of Maryland. And it should be said, I did invite Governor Glenn Youngkin to the show, and he did not you know, accept the invitation. Yeah. You know, some part that kind of makes me laugh about this whole uh, FBI debate is when you and Yunkin said you're going to play basketball. Did that ever happen? I just got to ask. Did that ever happen? It never happened. No. And, uh, <laughs> and I, was, I was so looking forward to it, too. I, uh, and, you know, and people will say, well, you know, uh, you know, you played college basketball. I was like, okay, well, well so did I. And we'll, I, think we'll, I think we'll be okay. I think we'll be okay. But I, I would love to be able to get a, a friendly game of, of basketball. The invitation with the, uh, is still open. Is the, 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 the invitation is still open. And, and listen, you know, I, I, uh, I have... A, I have a, a, a deep respect for the governor and, and the work that, that the that the Virginia delegation is, is doing, um, and you know, and this is this is this is this is it's ferocious, but it's friendly. Right. Uh, but the thing that I know is also this isn't political. Uh, you know, I actually think that we should be depoliticizing this process. It's really the way that I try to lead. You know, throughout the state of Maryland, but. I'm just talking about the merits of the case, mm. right? The merits and the basis of the argument. I think that it's pretty clear that the building should go in the state of Maryland. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to be able to, to <laughs> lace up some sneakers and, and go against Governor Youngkin uh, or, or, the, or Team Virginia if they like. Now, you know, just a few weeks ago, you gave a speech at the National Press Club talking about depoliticizing the issue of crime. You yeah. know, for the past 10 years, 20 years, we have seen a decrease uh, in you know, murders across the country with some outliers here yeah. and there. And you said that, you know, politicians and the media have really been juicing up and fear-mongering around crime. Can you talk more about that and kind of get specific about why I think it's an issue? Yeah, you know, and, and I feel like it, it's something that continues to happen around election years where, you know, it, there, there's, this, there's, a, there's this playbook mm. that exists, right? It's like, tell people to be afraid of it and then tell people you're the only one that can solve it, mm. right? It's, it's a natural playbook. The problem is, is that we're watching people do this where they're running the same playbook, they just don't have a plan. And so there's no meat behind this idea of simply coming up with catchphrases. Uh, like, well, I support law enforcement and, and you know, be strong on crime and tough on crime. But that's no plan. And frankly, what that's continued to do and continue to, to get us is where we're watching, where, for example, in the state of Maryland, in the state of Maryland now, we now have, uh, we've now had eight straight years of 300 plus homicides in the city of Baltimore alone. Right. Eight straight years where we've watched the homicide rate in Maryland nearly double. Eight straight years we watched the number of non-fatal shootings double in the state of Maryland. And so my point is, let's be serious about this. Hmm. And let's stop retreating to these traditional talking points that frankly are not making anyone in our community any safer. It's the reason that we've decided to be aggressive 
on this issue and really go with an all of the above approach when it comes to public safety. And that means things like, yes, we put an additional, additional 100, almost $112 million towards local law enforcement. We are going to support law enforcement. We're going to make sure that they have the resources that they need. And we're also going to make sure that we're supporting the Maryland Coordination and Analysis Center. So we have intelligence sharing. We're getting these illegal guns off of our streets and out of our neighborhoods. We're making sure that these violent offenders stay out of our neighborhoods. But we're also making sure that we are clear that we're not going to arrest, just arrest our way out of something that's a much bigger problem. Mm. That this deserves more than political talking points. And so let's, let's, let's get rid of the politicization of this issue uh, and, the, and the quote breaks. And let's say, what is it going to take to actually create safer communities for all of our citizens and not just some? And that's why I, 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 this is a core priority for me. It's a core priority for our administration. And I want to be clear that we're not, we're not running a playbook. We're actually presenting a plan. Mm. And we're putting that plan into action. Now, some might hear you resuscitating stats from eight years ago and say, oh, that might be a dig at Governor Larry Hogan. Is that not what that is? is no, that- it's, it's, not, it's, it's, not, it's not a dig. It's, it's fact. When we look at the realities of what's happened in our communities, and, and the fact is, is that it's not just accurate data. No one's challenged me on the data. That's exactly what has happened over the past, over the past eight years. But also, it's had very real human impact. I mean, I, I came off the campaign trail last year because a, a woman in my church in East Baltimore, a grandmother, 69-year-old grandmother who worked as a custodian inside that church, was killed in the church bathroom. Mm. And so this is very real to folks who are dealing with this issue of violence, and they deserve more than us just simply coming up with, you know, attack lines or political platitudes or simply saying, well, I wish this person would do this or I wish that person would do that. Being in this role and being in this seat means we have a real amount of authority, a real amount of budgetary jurisdiction, and the bully pulpit to be able to depoliticize this issue and say, we owe it to the people who put us here to make sure that we're making our communities safe. Mm. And so I, I think, you know, I, we're, we're, we're really taking an approach where we want to have every single aspect and facet of state government and of our society focused on making sure that our communities are safe and that opportunity can actually thrive all throughout the state and not just some places. Mm. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you consider yourself kind of a middle-of-the-road politician. Yeah. What's been interesting to me is on the far right, we've heard claims like defund the FBI because of political persecution. On the far left, we've seen, you know, defund police because they are hurting black and brown communities. Where do you fall? You know, I think those two things sometimes seem similar, like it's unfair. Justicism is unfair. Both sides are saying that, but they're saying it in a different way for different people. Where do you you fall kind of in that spectrum, if there's a spectrum at all? I mean, I, I, I fall where I always fall, which is with the people. I can tell you right now, for communities in that I have lived in, worked in, work with, they're not screaming either one, right? They just want to feel safe. They want to make sure that their child can actually go to school without the fear of gun violence. They just want to make sure that they can go to church without having to change the route that they take to actually get there. They want to make sure that at night and during the summertime, that when everyone else is going out and enjoying fireworks and the beauties of summer, that they can go enjoy them too. Mm. And the thing that we continue to see with, this, with this, this, this screaming on the extremes that takes up a lot of space, 
but frankly creates a lot of noise, it means policies that actually can work to address these issues are not being addressed. It's, it's the reason that you know, we put together our Safe Summer Initiative, where when I said I want to focus on public safety, and this is going to be an administration that focuses on public safety, I, I didn't just call the head of the state police, and I didn't just call my chief legislative officer. I called the entire government together. And so that's why we now have an initiative that's working with our, our uh, Vinnie Chiraldi, our head of, head of juvenile, juvenile services, but that's also working with our head of general services, that's working with the Department of Natural, Resor- Natural Resources, that's working with our Department of Health, that's working with our Department of Environment. Everybody has got to have their fingerprints on this plan. And so it includes things like additional funding uh, that's going towards supporting individuals and communities during the summer months. It's going towards something called Thrive 25, where we know who the 25, who we know who are the juveniles and the children who have the, the highest propensity of being either the victim or the perpetrator of violence. If we have the data, we know who the individuals are. We know the communities where this is lasting. We've got to make sure that we're actually providing supports and flooding resources and making sure that these individuals do not end up as either a victim or a perpetrator of violence. And so we're putting together a real all, all of the above and all of government strategy in the way that we're dealing with these, with these challenges. And so the, the thing that I, I know is, you know, we do big things. And I want for the state of Maryland to know we can do big things again. And being able to address this issue, this scourge of of violence that our communities continue to see, and by being able to use all resources, being able to work and start with law enforcement, working to get illegal guns out of our communities, working to make sure we're getting violent offenders off of our streets, working to make sure we have supports, educational supports, environmental supports for all of our students and not just some, that that is actually a plan that we're taking and approaching because these results that we've continued to see for years in the state of Maryland will not stand and I will not allow them to. We've been hearing from the 63rd governor of Maryland, Wes Moore. Coming up after the break, we talk guns and why Governor Moore signed a law that puts more limits on where you can have concealed carry weapons in the state of Maryland. Stick around. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. And we're back. Governor Moore, ever since the Supreme Court made it easier to get a concealed carry permit after the Bruin case, the number of applications for concealed carry permits in the state of Maryland has risen 700 percent between 2021 and 2022. That trend is continuing this year, 2023. But recently, you've signed a law that kind of puts more limits, puts limits back on you know, the use of concealed carry weapons. It was sued immediately by the NRA. Are you confident that this law that kind of puts limits on where you can have a concealed carry weapon in Maryland will stay in place and won't be struck down by the Supreme Court, much like the Bruin case was back in 2022? I am confident. You know, we, we were working very closely with the, with the attorney general on this, and, and I'm, I'm confident that it's not only going to stand up to legal challenge. I'm confident that this is common sense gun policy 
that we had to make sure we put in place. Because what, what we're talking about with, uh, with the decisions and with the, with the bills that were passed, it's common sense gun policy that says things like, if a person has a history of mental illness and a history of violence, they should not be able to purchase a gun. It's common sense gun policy that says that we should be able to raise the age to 21 for someone to be able to purchase a firearm. It's common sense gun policy that simply says that, you know, while we respect the right for individuals to be able to, to own, own, own weapons, that people legally own weapons, that people should not be able to bring guns into nurseries or into a government building. There's no point. And so it's simply saying, let's, let's make sure that we are using common sense gun laws to be able to make people safer, that people on private property should actually have some say as to what happens within the private property. Like these are all common sense gun laws that were passed in the state of Maryland that I think are not just going to be important as important components to the public safety conversation in addition to doing things like really going after these illegal guns mm. and funding the mechanisms that are going after them. But also that most people, including gun owners, agree right. that these are common sense gun laws. Now laws are one thing, enforcement is another thing. I was talking to Cassandra Cafasi at Johns Hopkins, yeah. great expert on gun violence That's in the right. country. And she says that enforcement is going to be key here to yes. making this law uh, effective. It's hard to enforce, you know, when someone's concealing, hidden, <laughs> hiding a gun in their person in public. How do you enforce that? You know, yeah. how's your administration thinking about that? Well, you know, and of course, she's, she's absolutely right. And, you know, one of the things that we have to do and we are doing is making sure that we're putting together the proper funding for enforcement mechanisms, uh, making sure that people know what the rules are. Right. Uh, and so there, there cannot be the claim of ignorance about what it is where we're being very, very outspoken so that people understand what are your rights? What do you have the authority to do? Mm -hmm. And what are the things that are now venturing into, into violating the law? But then it's also about how are we thinking about this idea of working together with local law enforcement and with the other places that people go to for their information, for their, whether it's their homes of worship or community centers, whatever it is, mm. so that people are just very clear as to what the laws, what the guidelines are, and what the why is. That's why, you know, when we said that we were going to work with every single lever of government and every single space within our society to not just put these things in place, but to explain them, to enforce them, we meant that. And so our administration is moving very aggressively on, on, on not just the enforcement, but the education. Mm. So people really have an understanding of why these laws are put into place and what it means for you and your family individually. Now, moving to another topic of society, transportation. You know, it's how people get around, obviously. It's core to getting to your job, getting to your family, getting to your friends. Yeah. Transit agencies across the country, uh, from New York to San Francisco to D.C. and Maryland and Virginia with Wamada Metro, are facing huge budget gaps to the tune of $700 million for Wamada. Paul Wiedefeldt is your transportation secretary. You know, he was a former CEO and general manager of Metro. Randy Clark has been on the show and has kind of been saying, hey, we need local uh, officials to pretty much pay up and help us with this funding gap. Yeah. How are you thinking about helping Metro, you know, stay as uh, frequent as it is now? Yeah, um, you know, I, I was really proud uh, when when Paul agreed to, to come in and serve. Mm. You know, we, we I spent a lot of time on all of my cabinet secretaries <laughs> because, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm just a big believer that that team is everything, mm. right? The team you build doesn't just send a message on how you're on, on your philosophy and how you plan on governing, but it really is a core component to are you actually going to accomplish the things you're hoping to accomplish. Mm. And, and having Paul Wiedefeld inside that seat means we've got a pro. 
uh, like you said, someone who's run Wamada, someone who's right. run large systems before, and someone who is going to be able to advance the big ideas and the big things that we're going to do in the state of Maryland, you need to make sure you had someone with that steady hand being able to help lead that charge. The idea that this is going to be a coordination between all forms of, of government, including local, is true that so many of the bills that we're going to have, both in terms of funding, but also in terms of build, design, and, and, and reinforcement, mm. are all things that are going to happen in coordination. I also now know, though, that we have a unique opportunity because there's another level of, lever of government that we are going to be pulling on, and that's federal. Because right now, when you look at what has happened on the federal side, and that we have such a strong partner in the Biden administration, we're literally talking about an administration that is actively now deploying upwards of $1.2 billion, sorry, trillion dollars, right. <laughs> going towards infrastructure, roads, mm-hmm. bridges, mass transit, et cetera. And we are very clear, and we've already seen, uh, we've already seen how Maryland is, really, is, is, is gonna be an important player and an important recipient of that capital. Where in just my first days of office, we were able to announce a partnership about the Frederick Douglass Tunnel, which is going to employ 30,000 people and make transit faster going between the Baltimore region and Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. That, we, uh, that we made plans in our first days of our administration about how are we going to focus on the ALB, uh, the, the American Legion Bridge, and making sure that we're dealing with the issue of congestion because the issue of congestion that we have within the D.C. suburbs, it's, it's, it's intolerable. And it is, it's harmful not just to, it's harmful to the environment, it's harmful economically, and it's harmful psychologically. And so we are going to be leveraging and both working with our local jurisdictions in terms of the planning, the processing, and also the funding. Okay. Uh, but also making sure that we're leveraging the other aspects, the federal government, the private sector, all the other places that we know that won't just provide expertise, but will provide capital for sustainable transportation projects. Mm. I can almost hear Randy saying, no, he's not committing millions of dollars <laughs> to Metro. But, you know, for that just rider, that everyday rider of yeah. Metro, you know, should they be confident that Metro is still going to run as it runs now? I mean, 100%. there are risks of 30% wait times, but they no. should be confident. They should, they, they, they should absolutely be confident because yeah. when we're talking about the future of of movement. Uh, you know, I talk about the idea you can't have economic mobility if you don't have physical mobility. Right. Uh, that we've got to be able to, and we've got to be able to prioritize mass transit. That's how people aren't just moving. That's how, they cho- how they're choosing to move. And so, yes, we know there's going to be a focus on things like roads and bridges that we had it done. But I can tell you right now, the focus for how we're thinking about this work, it is mass transit. And so, yes, that rider can know that that is a, that is a core priority for, mm. for our administration. And to close out here, you know, it's been half a year in the governor's mansion. How is it? How's your family? How's your little dog, Tucker? You know, <laughs> how has it been being here in Annapolis? Thank you for asking. No, it's, it's been amazing. You know, I, I, I think about what we've been able to, to do over this first six months. Um, and the bills we were able to pass, going 10 for 10 for all our bills and legislation, all passed bipartisan, mm. by being able to bring a new spirit of partnership to the state of Maryland with local jurisdictions and our federal partners, where we're meeting and, and actually working together in a coordinated fashion. Uh, the, the fact that we were able to do things like make Maryland the first state in this country to have a service year option uh, that for, for our high school graduates and that Maryland you know, provided $200 million of tax relief to working class families. I'm really proud of the work that we've been able to do. Um, But I tell you, one of the things that I'm most thankful for has been the transition for our family, Hmm. where, uh, you know, our kids are doing great. They're doing great in school. Uh, My wife, Dawn, you know, our our state's first lady, is spectacular Hmm. in every single definition of the word. And, um, And we're just grateful 
for the chance for the for the honor that the folks of the state have given us, and um, and and everyone is is remaining pretty unaffected by wow, all of it, which great. is which is <laughs> all great. which is <laughs> as a parent, as a as a as a as a mm. as a husband. Um, that's all we can kind of ask for is that we we're, we understand the moment, but I want people to be able to move through life relatively unaffected, and uh, and and we're feeling good about that. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you so much for coming on the DMV Download Podcast. We appreciate it. It's my pleasure, man. Thank you. And that'll do it for us today here on the DMV Download Podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you have a review, a comment, let us know, either through email, social media, or by leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. This show is brought to you by WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, and 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland. Online at WTOP.com and, of course, on the WTOP News app. Have a great week. We'll talk Wednesday.